What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. From Pee Wee to Dumbo and everything in between, join us every Thursday in April for Filmography Tim Burton. Our five-part season will break down all 19 of Burton's feature-length films to date in detail. Follow Filmography on Spotify or wherever else you find your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science Science and and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the fifth dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequences Sound, and this is the fifth dimension. We're talking about Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. This is our fourth episode on the series, our fifth overall. But we're back and we're here to talk about A Traveler, written by Glenn Morgan. Uh, I think we know that name. Mm-hmm. And directed by Anna Lily Amapor. So before we get into this episode, you know me, but who are we with here in this zone? And I'm pointing to you. This is Samantha Kuykendall, a constant contributor to this podcast, as well as I will be on this week's episode of Filmography, Mm, talking about Tim Burton's pop films. So look for that one. And I also run some of the socials for various CPN um, Instagram. Oh, I'd say so. Pages. Yeah. 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 Add that to my resume. Who's to your right? That's you. Uh, oh, are we doing pointing or direction? Just, just go. <laughs> I would just go. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey, travelers. This is Matt Mellis, editorial director of Consequence of Sound. And just a friendly reminder to you, while it's possible sometimes to escape the Twilight Zone, you cannot escape the IRS. So if you've not filed your taxes yet, <laughs> get on that. Toot sweet. 
Yes, yes. Ben, uh, speaking of uh, the IRS, uh, <laughs> that does no that seg segue whatsoever. That segue does not work what at all. Uh, well, well, speaking of the government <laughs> and hashtag the truth is out there, uh, there is someone out there and it's beyond the stars. Who is down in Florida? This is Eleanor, low-level government agent and the person whose dream you're all presently in. Oh, <laughs> It all makes so much sense now. Oh my God, that is kind of creepy. So before we get into this episode, I, I kind of wanted to talk about where we are currently in the Twilight Zone right now. Jordan Peele's the Twilight Zone, and how do we kind of feel with uh, where we're at? Although maybe we should reserve that for after this discussion. What do you think, Matt? After last week, we were starting to feel a certain way. I think we have some definitive feelings. We've moved further in a certain direction. So we could talk about it now. We could also talk about it later. Um, maybe maybe save it for later? Save I it think, for later okay. after we've all gotten our you yeah. know words out about the episode. I okay. don't want to you know give spoilers before we've actually talked about okay. it. Okay. No well, spoilers before we've given spoilers. Exactly. Well, gotcha. to, uh, to quote you and also the English beat, we'll say it for later. For now, though, let's read the synopsis. And again, this isn't uh, one provided to us by CBS All Access. This is one written by yours truly, Matt Mellis. Take it away. Okay. We are whisking you away to Iglac, Alaska, where police captain Lane Pendleton is hosting his annual Christmas party for his department and other members of the small community. However, the captain's yuletide traditions take a turn for the strange when not a visitor but a traveler crashes the festivities. Ooh, I feel that nice chill in the air. And that's not because we're in Chicago, but because this is Christmas time. In Iglac. Now that we know the synopsis, let's go into the stars and souls of a traveler. You walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. All right. Now, who are we going to start with? I think we... I think we should start with the writer and director before we get into the stars. Yeah. I okay. think because that sets the precedent a little bit for what we're about to discuss. Yeah, yeah I think that's Glenn fair. guy you guys are talking yeah, about. What? Give us a little rundown. Do you rundown. really not know who Glenn Morgan is? No, I don't. Okay. I think he's a kind of whiskey, like a refreshing dram of Glenn Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> well, is maybe that's true. <laughs> um, but he was a main writer of my favorite television series, The X-Files. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, he wrote episodes such as season one, Squeeze, and it's follow-up episode tombs he also wrote the episode ice which is basically like the thing for the x-files he also wrote home musings of a cigarette smoking man love musings of a cigarette smoking little man. green men so all episodes that kind of have to do with alien life so i think that's pretty relevant to what we're talking here mm-hmm. no. um those are all some of my favorite episodes of the series so i really respect mm-hmm. him as a writer although he followed it up <laughs> with screenplays and directing uh black christmas the remake Mm-hmm. which was just fucking abysmal. And Willard, that weird movie with... Uh, My dad loves Willard. Okay, though. Marty McFly's dad basically like controls Crispin a bunch Glover. of rats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very bizarre film. But since The X-Files, he hasn't really done anything um, that I would suggest. <laughs> well, until this episode. Let's let's uh, hold off on that and give a shout out to Millennium. Uh, he did write Millennium well, as well. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one thing I did want to point out with Glenn Morgan, though, because I'm a huge X-Files fan as well and watched him on the original run, Oh, and, that uh, doesn't make you bigger <laughs> fan than me, God. Oh, come on, come I on. Knew that was so I, want, I want to yeah, believe, yeah. but 
I'm well, sorry I was born the year it premiered, okay? Little yeah. fucking toddler ass me wasn't watching it. Uh-huh. Well, out of the Morgans that are involved with the X-Files, mm-hmm. uh, I would call him the quote-unquote lesser Morgan. Uh, I Because I think Darren Morgan is far superior. A better writer. And I would argue that this episode is fucking clear proof of that. <laughs> yes. Um, because... I think Black Christmas alone was clear proof of well, that. Well, the thing I will say about his abilities in the X-Files is that, like, he, he really does know how to come up with original concept. Like, Final Destination was his brainchild with him. So, yep. like, you know, there's clearly originality that he has. Has yeah. that he can you know he can bring to the table. For me, I felt that like this was a total X Files episode. It, in, it in felt like it should have been um, in the like revival of but, the series, but not his X Files episodes because I you know I really do feel like he was trying to do almost like a Darren Morgan thing here. Uh-huh. Eleanor, I know you like the X Files. What do you think on this? You know, I wish it had been an episode of the new series of X Files, considering it was awful. So I agree with you, Eleanor. <laughs> the new series because I yes. I didn't dislike this episode at all. If that's if that's Ooh, where you guys are going. Okay. You did. Ooh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm glad we didn't do the spoiler because that would have spoiled our spoiler. Exactly. That would that would spoil our doors. Yeah. Let's talk about the director. Anna Liliana Poor. Again, this is a series that's getting some really high class talent. And she is a very, very notable filmmaker. And, you know, she she did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is a favorite it's among iconic. the horror community yeah, of the last a, five years. Uh, the first Iranian vampire film, basically. Mm-hmm. But she also is responsible for the black comedy, The Bad Batch. So oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll talk more about the filmmaking prowess of this, but I think that you have, like, two pretty strong veterans yeah. for the most part. Maybe I wouldn't call Anna Lily More so than last week, as last yeah. week they didn't really have, like, if you were to see their uh, resume not much on it you know they're newcomers but with this one you actually are getting like i mean glenn morgan is a total fucking veteran with like oh, when it comes to tv agree. writing so i want to keep that in mind as, as we're discussing this because we're not just talking about a newer writer like we had last year like, yeah, or like last not week. last year last week uh it feels like a year <laughs> sure, <stop laughs> especially us. after this day um <laughs> but let's talk about the characters now because we've, we've we've got the talent behind the scenes let's go in front of the camera i think we should start with uh a traveler, wouldn't you say? No, I think we should go with, with who we first see, which is Lieutenant Yuka, or is it Sergeant Yuka? I think it might make sense to even go with the two first people we see, because I think they have a lot in common. I agree. They're related. So we have, they are related. So yes. we have what? We have Sergeant Yuka, and then we have good old Jack, her brother. So mm-hmm. we have younger sister, older brother, and... One thing the show does is it usually uses the first few minutes to give you a lot of background and, and context. And one thing we learn is, yes, they're up in Iglac, Alaska, population less than a 1,000. And we also learn that ethnically their, their background is Inuit. We learn that this is a town that probably for only a couple, a couple generations back was probably completely indigenous and... Now other people have come in and the ways have changed. So the Jack and uh, Yuka are interesting characters. They're kind of this generation that's stuck in between. Mm-hmm. They want to kind of embrace the old ways, but the old ways aren't there to embrace anymore. So what do you do? Jack drinks. Yuka has joined the has joined the local post one fifty one fifty one. I think yep, post one fifty one. She's joined the local law enforcement, but she hates it. So they're kind of these characters just stuck um, in between. Can't get to the old times. They hate where they're at now, and they just feel very, very much stuck. Which feels like she's just trying to make a name for herself, kind of prove herself to the dickhead. Caucasian police force. She's the only indigenous trooper. Pl- trooper, exactly. Yeah. So, and female as well. So, um, it's kind mm-hmm. of a boys' club, a white boys' club. 
her whole plot line at the beginning is basically trying to appease Greg Kinnear's character by arresting someone that means something to her for a very small crime mm-hmm. so that she can bring him back to be pardoned. Mm-hmm. Now, Eleanor, who is Greg Kinnear in this? He is Captain Pendleton, who evoked Ray Fine's character from uh, from Schindler's List with his whole I, I pardon you thing. <laughs> Not a good thing. <laughs> Jesus. I-, I-, I thought he was more Trumpian in a way, especially when he starts doing a oh, toast. Sure. He talks about how like, oh yeah, before you know we came, it was a bunch of bear and Eskimos and you he know, says it right in front of the Eskimo of, people there. Yes, you know. which is so fucked. And but then he's also insanely Christian to the point where he's like, Oh, we have a greater service to this the higher superior. And you know, he he welcomes, you know, strangers. He like almost like fetishizes this pardon. Exactly. Because you know? he sees himself as a Jesus character. Yes, a very yeah. bad <laughs> He is the Messiah. His power comes from God. It, it's imbued, you know, he's blessed with it because he is it comes from such great stock. <laughs> Right. He has the white savior complex for sure. Mm-hmm. But even just beyond that, I mean, I think anyone who watches this episode, they'll say, God, that's the jackass boss I had at one point, too, in a way. He's the guy who thinks he's funnier than he is. He's better than he is. He's more profound than he is. And just everyone in the room's kind of like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, you just feel like they're just going along with it. But, yeah. Uh, I think we've all had that boss at one point. He's lumber. Some of us currently have that boss, not me. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> funny, funny. For, for the record, Michael Rothman's. Look, is look my I, I love boss. great bits and I love good jokes, and that's a good joke, Matt. <laughs> I, I hope to God that I'm not like Lumberg or like Pendleton here. The, the one thing that I, I think is, is funny is that, like, so does Yuka bring back Jack solely for yes. the pardon? Yeah. Like, that's. She literally, they have no one in their prison cell that mm-hmm. night. And it's sort of a tradition for Pendleton to pardon someone, and she's just trying to appease him. And she doesn't really even give a shit about the tradition, it doesn't seem like. Right. like oh, it God. doesn't really no. matter to her. But she's definitely in an attempt to, you know, a- appease the higher sure. up and make sure everyone's happy there, all the citizens that are drinking and being awful. She does this to someone that she loves and cares about. And they make that very obvious in that first scene when she arrests him is he makes, you know, sure. he has a comment or something about her forgetting where she came from. Yes. Basically. Yes. yes. It yeah. also should be noted that at the same moment, because foreshadowing is not subtle in the slightest in this episode, they see something in the sky to which they think it's just a, you know, a low orbit satellite or a local orbiting satellite or whatever. So and something the, strange yeah. is going on in the North UFO-y. Pole. Yeah. Again, I just want to say, and I think we'll get back to it, but Think of that whole, this tells you so much about Captain Pendleton and that community and what it's like to be Inuit in this community that's now largely white. You know, they bring in Jack, they, they pardon someone every year, right? They bring in Jack, they actually put cuffs on him. He's kind of doing a little dance for them. You know, they're cheering him on. Uh-huh. Hey, Jack, he's doing a little dance. And then they don't send Jack over. Hey, have a drink, have some turkey. Welcome to the party. They actually go through with the shrug. Oh, they yeah. actually think of how, I mean, think of how um, degrading this is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a they make Jack, yeah. they make him a jester. They send him back and they put him in the cell and he spends, you know, at least a couple of hours in this cell when he's done absolutely nothing at all. He's a little bit too drunk, you know, to probably fight back. But uh, you just, again, you see, God, if that didn't make you cringe a little bit, just how condescending these people are to the indigenous people in this well, community. It's and, just and terrible. It's, it's even worse, too, because and then he's just like, fetch the stranger. Mm-hmm. It's just his verbiage is just awful. He does this whole like you know, rigmarole about the three wise men. And, and it, granted, this is all like, you know, Christian lore that both Yuka and Jack are kind of like scoffing upon because it's not their heritage. No. And yeah. it's it's almost like the religion empowers Pendleton to be self-righteous. For sure. But 
this is a great setup. It reminds me of like a John Carpenter uh, setup, like Assault in Precinct 13. Well, and that's or, why I even said that like um, Glenn Morgan having written Ice for yes. the X-Files definitely reminds me of that mm-hmm. because it's set in Alaska. It's a central location. They find an alien life form up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely saw that parallel. Yeah. If we're talking about strangers... Oh, yes. I think we should definitely talk about... Should we talk about the stranger? The stranger? Maybe... A, a stranger? stranger and stranger. That's not right. A, a stranger. <laughs> oh, I think a stranger. Played by my personal favorite hunky guy, Stephen Yoon. Who oh, the hell is this Stephen guy? Yoon. You didn't. Did you, have you ever watched The Walking Dead? Is he, is he friends with Glenn? He is Glenn. He is Glenn. <laughs> I, I am. Uh, I mean, full disclosure, I'm probably the only one here who is not a complete nerd is that offensive if i say that no i've not watched the walking dead i've i don't know x files i mean i gave up on the walking dead about two seasons ago well to be fair matt's really busy being an agro tourist Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i've been to milwaukee and i've been to pittsburgh and chicago the last couple exactly all the big places you are a traveler the bucket list i am a traveler oh yeah in a strange land he shows up out of nowhere as far as we can tell. We don't know how he got in the cell. They have a few theories, but none of them make a lot of sense. Like some <laughs> keys were dropped months ago in the snow um, that they're not too worried about solving the mysteries. It's just way more interesting that this guy showed up. Yeah. And Captain Pendleton is just totally taken with him. Um, his ego is being stroked like crazy and he loves it. And I think that his God complex definitely leaves him more open to seduction <laughs> oh easily De- well because he they know he knows exactly what to say to yeah, yeah. get him going you know he just completely tells him like oh my god everybody knows about pendleton's pardon and christmas party <laughs> and he calls him a tough american sheriff and you got to remember this is in a town where there's what 900 and like 60 something people and he's saying the russians know if they invade they got to get past pendleton you know they're they yes. all asked me about it and what was it what was the other great example of that um, someone was telling them about or just even the idea of like you know the bucket list you know if you're a traveler here's the things you got to do you know you got to go uh kiss what the ramones well, grave he, at the hollywood cemetery yeah. you got to come up here and get pardoned by pendleton well it's kind of uh, funny because they do you know in terms of uh, this A Traveler, or a, he's got some. He's what got a connection. What A stands for? I think it stands for awesome. Um, because Jeez, Stephen I Ewan's think it stands awesome, for A. But kind of like Homer J Simpson. Remember how the J stood for J? <laughs> yeah, I, I like think that. it's just A stands just for A. a. <laughs> I, what I love about this is that he does actually use sort of the this sort of modern swagger to win over Pendleton. Like I joked before, he, he calls himself an agro tourist. Well, actually. He he identifies himself as an extreme tourist, you know, an ET. ET, ooh, Eleanor. Oh, nice I didn't even pickup. think of, that's a good pickup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you guys didn't pick did, that up. I don't even watch X Files when I picked that up. Oh God, <laughs> I did not pick that. This is very much Glenn territory. Yeah. Let's yeah. put it that way. You okay. know, it's going down Glenn's uh, wheelhouse. <laughs> did anybody uh, Google Eglac? No, no did I didn't. You? I'm assuming you did. I, I have some details for Eglac though. Oh um, yeah. But, no, based on the sign. So in the sign that Glenn Morgan cheekily says, it says 1475 miles to the North Pole when they're outside when, when um, Yuka's with Jack. Yeah. Five miles to Iglac and then Fort Cheney, which, oh my God, 10 <laughs> miles away. So An yeah. Air Force base, uh, which political? plays a very big role here. Yes, yes it does. Yeah. So tell us more about Iglac. According to Google, it's the Inuit word for traveler. Oh. oh. So it's a made up place then. Is it a real place? Not as far as I could tell. Okay. Mm, maybe it is real. And, Didn't know uh, that. That's where Cheney Air Force Base is. And, <laughs> and we know, just don't know. Maybe he's just, we busy just don't know. shooting people. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true because he did actually shoot someone. Yeah, no, that was um, topical. That was a topical comment. Uh, coming soon to uh, home video, uh, Adam <laughs> McKay's Vice, starring <laughs> Christian Bale and Jesus Steve Carell. We're having fun here tonight because uh, earlier today, we're going to have a go off a tangent for one second, just a little uh, black hole in the Twilight Zone. The studio in which we record in, a uh, water pipe burst above us. Uh, so now we are in Casa Rothman Kuykendall. Yes. Snuggled up on the couch. Yes. And uh, <laughs> what was really fun about today was when Matt got a parking ticket because of this. And then I also forgot two of the wires for the recording. So if we sound a little crazy and a little wired, that's why. Mm. And, I've also had two drinks. And, so. we have to, <laughs> and we also have to include that. Um, and I hope I'm not speaking uh, for you, even though I am speaking for you, Eleanor. You had a perfect day. I, t- I did. I, that's why it's my dream. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Sun was shining. The old. Uh, oh, it was a gorgeous yeah. day. I rode my yeah. bike. It was beautiful. Didn't get hit by a car. You know, beautiful day. Your boss was nothing like Lane Pendleton. Did I bring us back? No, or? You, you brought did. Us you right did. Right back. That was superb. Okay, so we're down past the corridor, as uh, Pendleton tells our, our traveler later on. We're here in the jail cell, outside the jail cell, where the traveler is, and then Jack to the left, where he's snoring because he's, he's not sleeping. Yeah. Sleeping, he's dreaming of that pie. What's going on now? What is the, what is the traveler trying to do with Pendleton? He we've, he's won him over, and who gets the pardon? He does. Ugh. I know. Unreal. He goes out to the crowd. Everybody fucking loves him because he riles them up. He tells them how great this place is because a small town America has a lot of, you know, pride. You're from small town America. I am. I'm from a small suburb outside of Sacramento. And I can tell you from experience that when you tell people from a small town how great their small town is, they will instantaneously (laughs) love you. It's actually kind of fucking sick. But you definitely see that exhibited here because they don't know this man. He's a stranger to them. They've never seen him before. He's here under strange circumstances. He broke into jail. Never exactly. trust somebody who breaks, breaks into, into jail. Exactly. That and question yet, That question was asked. How did he get in there? Notice it went away really, really quickly. Well, only, uh, you know, why bother figuring that little detail out? Yuko is the uh, only one who can I uh, side note, please, just so everyone knows. One of her only credits before this on The Twilight Zone was in the TV show Lucifer as, quote, the barfing girl. Uh. So <laughs> she's kind of, unlike us, she's on the up and up as far as roles go. I think I think Jack was in that, too. Oh, really? Because <laughs> he's in a lot of television series. Yeah. I looked at his IMDb, and it's essentially all television. He's a hardworking guy. Yeah, I will say this. So, yeah, Jack was definitely familiar. Patrick Gallagher. I've um, seen him before. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him. I, his voice was the most familiar voice I've ever heard. He does a lot of voice work. That's <laughs> that, why. That must be yeah. why. But Marika Silla, or Sila, I don't know how you pronounce it, who plays Yuka. I was reading a little bit about her, and she's interesting because she's sort of one of those uh, artists who's a jack of all trades. Oh, I didn't mean together a jack, but she is like that artist <laughs> who does a little bit of everything she does. One of the things she's like a champion at doing is I guess it's called hoop dancing. Oh, nice. And it's where, I mean, you're doing different moves and things, and you have like almost like, it looks like miniature hula hoops like around your ankles or your arms. So it's a sort of expressive kind of dance. And I guess um, one of her um, big goals and something she does is she travels and she um, does that sort of thing. She travels? travels. Yeah, Ooh. she, yeah, everyone Ooh. travels. You got to get out of Iglac <laughs> sometimes, damn it. <laughs> but uh, no, she travels around performing and she's also one of her big goals is to sort of raise awareness about like Inuit culture and things like that. So that's actually, and of course you could, 
see why she would take on, you know, maybe this, this role. role. Yeah, sure. she's definitely new. And it shows. Like, you know, when you have someone like Stephen Ewan, who is the most charismatic he's person on television right now. He's sorry to bother you. He's, he's amazing. And then you have Greg Kinnear, who's a total veteran. It's not that this, this role demands so much, because a lot of it has to just be very stoic and very observant. Mm-hmm. But... Her delivery on so many lines in this, even just like the beginning chat. I think that was the worst part. The the first, the car ride where she was real stiff and slow. Oh my God. When she's talking about the pie, like, uh, yeah. But I think that's what we're here for. We're here to tell our <laughs> opinions and I agree with yours. I mean, we might not all feel the same way, but the whole time I was watching it, I just felt like she didn't really give me that oomph, you know? Mm-hmm. Of- she did when she played Barfing Girl though. Oh, have you watched that? Have you watched that particular? Um, Here's a question, though, that was interesting to me. Since we all love Steven Yoon's charming performance so much, why was he wearing a pinstripe gangster-like suit? I love that that's what Greg Kinnear asked him, too. He's like, what are you wearing a suit for? I agree, but someone who is, you know, very into alien lore, the Men in Black, obviously, I mean, everyone knows the movie, but if you Mm -hmm. actually, like, look up, there are real stories of people experiencing moments with the Men in Black. They're typically very stoic. They don't blink. They're in all, obviously, black. And there's quite a folklore behind it. Yeah, they wear zoot suits? Or it wasn't they, quite a zoot suit. They wear suits, yeah. yeah. They and wear then suits. They, well, like, where odd things happen, usually, like, the men in black are present. Uh, and it's a pretty popular theory that they are aliens. Okay. Um, he just he just looks so out of time. Not just out of place, hey, but out of that's time. that's what's supposed to be the, the case he's here. He's a time traveler. Exactly. Like, he's been, I Not mean. Not necessarily. Well, he's, uh, he's, we'll get to that in a second. Let's, at this point right now in our discussion. We all love Steven Yeun. The people at Post 151 love Steven Yeun. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there. He's having a fun time talking to everyone. They all pardon him. They weirdly put him in a chair and dust off his jacket, etc. He insists upon doing karaoke in which he sings Everybody's Waiting for the Man with a Bag, which is written by uh, Irving Taylor, uh, Dudley Brooks, and Hal Stanley in 1950. Mm-hmm. Goes back. Uh, 1950. Can I say original Twilight Zone? Oh, good one. And yeah. one of the sweetest, mo- one of the cutest little moments when the power goes off. And we should probably explain really quickly. Oh, yeah. The power is always flickering. Just like Stranger in Things. Station, just like Stranger Things. Yeah. And it's because they share a power grid with the Air Force base that's nearby. So you always see the lights coming in, coming off. Maybe it's the grid. Maybe sometimes it's a traveler doing it. I don't know. But it is very cute when the lights go off and the karaoke machine go off well, because... Aren't we going to finish the song? There's more song. There's and it's more very song. Stranger Things, and as I, you haven't finished it, but like the Netflix series Dark as well, it's definitely like an example of a town that's centered around something huge, like a factory or you know an air force base that I'm sure like gets a lot of jobs for the community. Well, the, its sole purpose is to defend that area. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so it's a huge part of where they're from and has a lot of influence on their choices. So, Eleanor, why do we kind of at least not us because I'm still all team you and why do we turn or why does post 151 turn on our traveler well i think they turn on themselves first on each other with his influence though yeah he starts planting seeds i mean there's the point where the power goes out and it looks very much like he's watching them and then turns the power back on so it's like any of the other alien episodes on twilight zone old series where we're observing the humans Watching them tear each other apart and then moving in for the kill. And we learned that one person is delinquent child support payments. One man named Kolchak was the lowest of all three bidders for, uh, I think there was a power station at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. The mayor screwed him over. And, yeah. We like learned a kickback, about a kickback an affair as well, on, yeah. or at least like a time when 
I think they like made out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some uh, yeah. of the drinking problem is yeah. drink more drinking, drinks than she'll admit. But yeah. it's Christmas, she said. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. There is this underlying connection to this base and also to the power. But also everybody's denying all of these things. And one of yeah. these things, a very important one, is that Jack stole some tools and that he's hiding these tools in the back of his car. And he's secretly a criminal and everybody's denying that any of these things are true except the drinky lady who's like, yeah, it's Christmas. Uh, (laughs) But he's planting these seeds and he also name drops Russia and North Korea, making everybody feel important and also playing on their deepest, darkest fears. And that's that's what I think you have to understand about this character. He knows whether he's buttering you up or whether he's trying to stir some trouble. He knows exactly what buttons to push. What's you know what seeds the plant, and um, that's that's um, part of what makes him a very you know again strange character. You start wondering about even more. Things start falling apart because they pardon him, and immediately he starts talking about pardoning Jack because they're like, well, we're all having fun up here drinking and having you know a ball, and he's done nothing wrong. And he's done, this guy's yeah. done nothing wrong. Let's pardon him. And a traveler says, I wouldn't pardon Jack Montoya. And that's when he, you know, he plants the seeds as Eleanor is just talking about. And this gets everyone out of the, down out to of a the bare minimum. spirit. Yeah. Well, it gets everyone out of the Christmas spirit. It also gets everyone out of the station because everyone just leaves and they go to see if there's tools in the shed. It, it, it was very weird and convenient in the way that everyone left. But well, once he proves that he knows everything mm-hmm. and calls everyone out, that's when Yuka starts to be like, all right. I'm like starting to believe this situation. Well, what's what's Yuka doing in this moment? Because Yuka doesn't buy this traveler for the whole time. Well, Yuka finds him in the cell next to Jack, and like uh, I hope any police officer uh, with uh, more than what five minutes training would say, um, "How the hell did you get here? This is yeah. kind of disturbing. Uh, we didn't have another prisoner in here." And uh, yeah, so Yuka. She sees she's the one person in this episode who constantly, 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 every time sees through a traveler's BS. Yeah. Everyone else is getting flattered or everyone else is believing, hey, maybe Jack did steal those. You know, she's the one who's able to see through all of this through most of the episode. Another key point that we missed uh, so far is that he takes her to the side, says, uh, I can tell that you don't believe me. Mm-hmm. but also I can give you what you want. And she starts thinking about, well, what do I want? What's the thing I want most? Yeah, and then she even asks her brother. She comes back downstairs and com- and he comes too, and she's like, well, what would I want for Christmas? And he's like, maybe be one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I don't think you know who you are anymore. And, you know, there's this idea that, you know, she just wants to fit in, uh, to quote uh, my boy Patrick Bateman. And <laughs> it's interesting too, because one one little detail that we slipped over also is that, you know, Yuka out of everyone, because you're right, Matt, like, you know, there is this like feeding ego that, that, that the traveler is doing with everyone and that nobody's asking questions, but Yuka is because she hasn't actually gotten what she wants. She actually is the only person to ask who the traveler is, his identification. She's we find the out, only one who reaches out to other yeah. police stations to yeah. be like, Hey, is there a warrant out for this person? She grabs his ID. She looks him up uh, before we let him out of the cell that he somehow got in. We should probably, you know, we should probably find out if he's a criminal mm-hmm. as a criminal record. What's what's uh, I love it. Uh, what's uh, Greg Kinnear who plays uh, Pendleton? What's he say? Well, what if we let him out and we find out he's done something or he's uh, 
She gives the code for basically if he's mentally unstable, yeah. right? Uh, he goes, oh, we'll just lock him up again and arrest him again. It's like, you know, nah, That's a good idea. I think if you want to commit a crime, you could probably get away with it in Iglac. I think so, too. <laughs> I, think, I might know. actually but go But not, not if you're Jack. But not if you're Jack. Having no. a drink if you, if you love drinking Christmas and pie, show. you're fucked, which is, you know, I kind of, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of in trouble there. All right. So we've laid out the station now at this point. We, we've got the majority of the, the town folk who have left, and now it's just... The three. Well, Jack there too, but we'll, we'll keep Jack off to the side for a moment. It's just Pendleton, Yuka, and a traveler. And what happens here, Matt? Long story short, the traveler, again, one of the things he's been able to do all episode is tell people things about themselves that um, are true. Mm-hmm. Or in other cases, you know, say things uh, about himself, actually, that are almost always bullshit. And that continues on. His story keeps changing and changing. Um, but he is starting to make some accusations. And some of them, you know, Yuka is able to sort of say, no, you're just, you know, uh, it's BS, more BS from you. You haven't said anything of truth yet. But there's also some th- accusations um, he makes about Mr. Pendleton, our, mm-hmm. our favorite captain, that are pretty damning um, yeah. about perhaps having maybe given away important locations. Um, there's a place that sort of connects the power grid for the town to the grid for, you know, Cheney. They're, they're Cheney. Thank yeah. you. Uh, which, can't we just <laughs> call Dick every Cheney. Air Force yeah. base Let's ever just call Cheney? Dick Cheney. Yeah. So to Cheney Air Base, right? So if someone were to invade Iglad, and God knows everyone's looking to invade we want to get to Iglad. It's beautiful up there under the six feet of snow. I promise you. Uh, that's there 11 months a year. Um, <laughs> but if you were going to invade, you would just have to take out that shed. The power grid goes down. Oh, totally. bam. It's like the motherfucking Death Star. Mike. It is, it is it the is. Death Star thing. I, I, I thought about that <laughs> also. It's like that one hole that's yeah. in the Death Star. So convenient. And that hole is Christmas. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will, all right. So basically, he pisses off Pendleton. Pendleton brings him back down to the cell mm-hmm. and at this point a traveler starts to make some leeway with yuka he basically entices her enough to be able to say like look this guy is corrupt and you could have his job mm-hmm. things start to really unravel here you get the insinuation that pendleton is working well, for the russians is sold out to yes. sold out to the sold russians out to or if, if nothing else what's what's the word a um, a useful idiot yeah. where, do, where do we know that phrase from folks yeah. this show's not relevant at all yes go yes, ahead michael yes. um <laughs> And you find out the, that um, this traveler seems to be from uh, up above, um, which is something that Glenn Morgan knows all too well. Well, it seems to me that, like, in this particular part of the episode, you see what his purpose is here. Yeah, sure. Um, he is here. Like, at first, you're kind of like, well, what, why the fuck did he p- choose this place? Why is he really here for the pardoning? You don't really know his intentions quite yet. Right. Um, but this is the part of the episode where you only have like 15 minutes left. And I feel like, I mean, we'll get into that later. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more should have been there for me. Yeah. Where you find out that his sole purpose of being here is to warn Yuka, essentially, and save the area, basically, from the Russians and find where the, like, where, where the, the location is. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he only finds the location because she allows Pendleton to leave. Yes. And Pendleton just goes and chases off. And then once she realizes what she's done and that she's like kind of letting him go, she goes and chases down Pendleton. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, they have the standoff and he literally says like, Oh, you brought a Remington shotgun to a Russian invasion. And he's like, he's lying. 
But if he was but, lying, why did you rush exactly. so fast here? Exactly. So, so we have this standoff between the two of them, and they and that comes to an end because uh, they see something in the sky. A ton of invading forces. We got some aliens here. Uh, Wait a second. Time. It wasn't just travelers. There's visitors, too. I think it was just a bunch of X-Wings. It was a bunch of yeah. X-Wings. So Pendleton's been shamed. He's pretty much over. His career is done. Yuka, I guess, is vindicated in a sense because she feels that she's been able to, you know, foil him. The aliens have landed. And what is going on back in post 151? It's kind of cute. It's time for Yes, Jack, that slice of pie. Oh, yeah. You were promised hours ago earlier that evening. And for being made a fool of, you were going to get a slice of pie. And you know what? It was worth the wait. It was pretty good pie. Yeah, it was pretty great pie. I, and it looked like pumpkin pie. It right? was, it it was like Twin Peaks pie. caliber pie. Oh, wow. That's very Oof. specific. Yes. <laughs> I have watched that. So. I did like that there was this focus on the butcher knife at the end and the way he cuts into it. and like It, it seems was visually as if, nice to look at. Yeah, I could tell that uh, Anna Lily Amapur was really indulging the aesthetics of everything because mm-hmm. you know it just gets really into the Christmas there spirit. There were a lot of shots that kind of reminded me of Brian Fuller's Hannibal. Yeah. Kind of like zoning in on certain moments like the eggnog pouring. Yes. Um, stuff like that. So it was really a visually a beautiful episode. I didn't mind that aspect of it at all. Mm-hmm. I minded the ending mm-hmm. and how it just kind of felt a little lackluster. Well, we're not going to talk about that just yet, but uh, we will step into the light and the shadow. We know that a dream can be real, but whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. And then ask yourself, do you live here in this country, in this world, or do you live instead in the Twilight Zone? All right. Now, for this section, we're going to be talking about the parallels to older episodes and beyond that can be pop culture. And as you've mentioned uh, before, Sammy, there there seems to be some sort of Stranger Things uh, allusions here, but I think there's more. Eleanor, you're usually our scholar in this area. What are some episodes that you uh, glean? So like every uh, alien episode, there's there's a lot of emphasis on a watchful eye. Only in this case, it seems to be more in the um, social media allusions. Like mm-hmm. how he's from um, Menlo Park, from the street that Facebook is located on. Oh, interesting. Hacker way. I didn't know that. But he knows everything there is to know about these people. He, clearly, his people have been watching them for a very long time. Our our biggest fear is being spied on, apparently. Yeah. And he's there spying. Um, just like the eyes watching you in... Um, in black leather jackets or to serve man. Obviously, they know way too much about us. And a lot of this episode reminded me of the episode The Fear, where uh, a cop goes up to a secluded woman up in the woods. Um, she's living alone, and he has to go and check out what's going on because there seem to be alien things going on. Oh, yeah. And then it turns out it's... No big deal. <laughs> That's a really late episode, too. It's like the season five. Yeah, it's, it's one of the last episodes. Yeah, um, It turns out it's no big deal in that case. But um, but really, the, the point of that episode is that they're busy freaking out over something, and, and that tears them apart, at least temporarily, until it all ends up being okay, because the aliens are itty-bitty. spoiler alert but that definitely is kind of like the monsters are due on maple street as well like um especially with like the powder outage and that moment where he's watching them tear each other apart yeah exactly of like over nothing you know over just knowledge of them Mm -hmm. 
so I definitely saw that. I saw just just for the fact that it is a Christmas episode. Um, I drew <laughs> a parallels to uh, season two, episode forty seven, Night of the Meek, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially like the Santa Christmas episode. Yeah. I don't know if any of you guys noticed any of the little Easter eggs. Oh, there are a ton of them. There this are one. a ton. Um, some of them are a little lazy, in my opinion. But oh, I uh, think all of them are a little lazy. Yeah, the gremlin yeah. this time was even I picked up on that. And I was just like, Come there on. was also you did that. the was dummy, um, the dummy yeah. from on the wrapping paper. The wrapping which paper. We've, already, we've already seen the comedian. Exactly, everything so like, under the damn tree, new. basically. <laughs> yeah, the one new thing that we did get, <laughs> yeah, talking uh, was Tina. talking Tina. Yeah, but you could take all of those as you know, like the dummy and talking. Tina, these things, and they're playful things that end up killing you. <laughs> That's exactly, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Much like Christmas. I'm getting the sense that you're very similar to uh, Yuka and that you, you don't give a damn about Christmas. It's not my favorite, but... No, um, no me yeah. neither. Yeah, it the never has good. been. Yeah. <laughs> the pie is good. The pie is good. And the good. pardoning. It's, the it's par- worth the year-long wait, yeah. I saw a lot of the Howling Man. In this, you yes. did, yeah. Where you get the sense that you don't know who to trust, and and the, and the travel was certainly similar to um, the band in question in that episode, and um, the ending seemed very similar. Uh, not you to set spoil. them free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The you evil, know? if you will. No. So I felt like almost like it, it was a, it was as if like Glenn Morgan was trying to do like a smorgasbord of a lot a of Twilight sci-fi Zone Howling Man. Mm-hmm. I would, looked at the quote from the end of To Serve Man. Yeah, where they talk about, he says, uh, the metamorphosis from being the ruler of a planet to an ingredient in someone's soup, and I feel like that's what happens to Pendleton in the episode. Absolutely, and also even just the something as early as season one with like what you need, you know, there's this like repetition of like what you want, what you you know, what you desire. I saw a lot of X Files in this the, in the ending, especially when the 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 aliens eating pie. It reminded me so much. Of just the funny kind of monster of the week episodes, yeah, yeah, like like especially the um, the episode that Duchovny directed where they the aliens literally playing baseball and you know that having these kind so of cheeky cute with him and Scully though, yeah, it's it's cute. It doesn't belong in this show, but um, right. and it was nice to see them having pie together, and it just felt like that very kind of cheeky. It was definitely you know, like um, Jose Chung's yes that uh, episode yes yeah. exactly and, and like uh, the Great Mutato episode. Mm-hmm. It it drew a lot from the Monster of the Week episode. Yeah. Like which, those funny t- kind of light episodes, which to me, I know we disagree on this, are my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, I liked that aspect, but... Yeah, Postmodern Prometheus. It's a really great episode. I love um, that episode. That episode's so. a, you can go fuck a hot take, a not very good, but you know what? Share I got, is in it. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. This goes back to the original Twilight Zone too, though, you know, because the Twilight Zone would have kind of fun and they would poke fun at the it's, it's itself. Even, you know, even the way that like Rod Serling would just appear and scare people <laughs> in the episode. Exactly. Like so, there's one episode where the writer basically whatever he writes, he brings into fruition. And then at the end of the episode, uh, he crumples up his paper that he's writing about Rod Serling and he disappears during his narration, which is pretty funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's a se- I think it's the season two um, finale. Yeah. It makes you wonder why Yuka wasn't suspicious of Jordan Peele being in the cell. <laughs> yes, exactly. With his present, his big wrapped present in his fireplace in the jail cell. Oh, I loved it though. Um, I'd love to be in a jail cell with Jordan Peele. <laughs> and I think a traveler is a plaything or for Pendleton, and that's similar to how Talkie Tina and the dummy are uh, playthings for their Ooh. owners. That was what I was really getting at. Okay, I, 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 <laughs> initially for sure. Yeah. Oh, and and the they showed the gingerbread cop, and I was wondering if that was an an allusion to. 
to serve man. Oh, hmm. it could be anyone who wrote for the X-Files is going to be like slavish to the, the Twilight Zone because that show just literally was born out of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. yeah. So because we've talked about all the parallels, we need to talk about the fundamentals. And we can only do that if we talk about science and superstition. Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomenon. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you find it in the Twilight Zone. I, I'm going to go off and say that this is a science fiction. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I episode. literally, in my notes, put time travel, aliens, technology. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, I hope those uh, shoes he wears are science fact. somebody could make the argument that it's somewhat fantasy in the sense that the christmas aspect yeah is very whimsical there's a lot of illusions and parallels to like religion is a fantasy but (laughs) why why does it happen at christmas because the first thing i was i thought we got the wrong episode the wrong screener why are we watching a christmas episode in uh what month is it april yeah April. april um and to me that's kind of uh and again i i always draw things back to literature for those who don't know i i've teach literature on and off. So I go back to that a lot. And the big themes here for me, um, what's really going on, it's all about, uh, it's about assimilation. It's about colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, um, again, the ideas we talked about at the very beginning about what happens when someone comes in and your way of life changes. Like xenophobia. Uh, yeah. And I, th- I mean, no. I think sometimes for, for people in our situation living in the West, it could be hard to maybe think about that. But I mean, even if you think about like, imagine if tomorrow the company you work for was bought by another company, they came in and did everything different, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and just think of how much your life would change. And that's just where you work. You know, these people have had their whole way of life changed to the point where, again, Jack's questioning whether Yuka and any of them even really know who they are anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, that's kind of what's really um, going on here. And I think there's, you know, there's, there's so much, uh, talk of that in here. And one of, one of the things I really kind of liked that was an interesting visual nod to me was we start with the visual of the Northern Lights. Yes. Yeah. And Jack talks about our folklore, right? Our history. We used our ancestors danced on the Northern Lights. And then what do you transition to? You transition to cop cars. You transition to Christmas lights, right? Something again, why is this, why is this set at Christmas? Because Yuka and Jack, they wouldn't even celebrate this holiday if they had not been, you know, invaded or taken over. I mean, they are the subjugated now, right? And then I like, and then you transition from that finally to, we see the lights of the next, maybe the next colonizers at the end. So again, that, that was, that was something that went back to me. And here's a question I kind of had for folks, because one of the things a traveler's definitely trying to do is manipulate. Yeah. Right? He doesn't actually look like Stephen Ewan. No. Right? For He it takes that appearance, right? And so I'm curious, do you think he takes the appearance of Stephen Ewan because it's more likely Yuka's going to believe him and he can sort of get in her ear and get into her head? Again, because everyone else there looks a certain way, right? And the only ones that even look similar are Yuka and Jack and maybe... Again, someone being from the East, you know, being the visitors. So I was curious if he even takes that form to maybe, again, not appear as the colonizer, but to appear as a friend, right? I'm not like them. Mm-hmm. I was curious it's, if people well, thought he's, that. Well, he's the other, essentially. And that's the parallel. He's also the, the other, right? Exactly. Between the two characters is that he's a fish out of water and so is she. And so I think 
that they have this connection almost instantaneously, whether it be her being a little suspicious of him at the beginning. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know where he came from, and he's an outsider to this this society that they're in, and so is she. So I think, although it takes her a minute to believe him, in the end, it it definitely brings him closer. I just think it's interesting. He doesn't look like anyone else there. exactly. He looks closer to her, or at least put it this way, he looks like he doesn't belong either. But it fits better in manipulating Pendleton. Because he looks like someone he's in control over, you know. It works better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it works for both of them, but I think that it's stronger. It's a stronger argument for Pendleton trusting him and being amused by him. Definitely. Which, again, ties back into he kind of treats him initially right, when he's pushing him on the chair and saying, your pardon gives him, I think he gives him like a, a scraper for your car to scrape the snow off. Yeah. You know what I mean? His, as like, shoulders. As like, like know, a he, he, yeah, he dubs yeah. him like a knight, right? So he's kind of having fun. Like Eleanor said, exactly. He's having fun with him. Just like they had fun with Jack. When Jack came in, and was doing a little like holding his hands up, like he just won the mm-hmm. lottery, you know, uh, doing a little dance and jig for them. So again, to me, this whole episode goes back to, Again, those themes, and maybe just my background, but those well, themes of colonialism assimilation. No, I think you're right. I mean, like he says to you guys, like you and I are a lot alike. Mm-hmm. We have bosses above us. Yeah. I mean, in this sense that, yeah, I mean, we could look at it as like as a literal sense of like, oh, yeah, these people there are going to like oversee you. But no, you could see it as colonialism, like is those yeah. that had like conquered you. And the way. only one who's not speaking to her and Jack in a condescending tone. But yeah, we're saying you could hear, you know, like he talking might, down. Yeah, to perhaps them. trying, perhaps trying to manipulate her to get what he wants. Yeah. But again, not looking down on her, you know, overtly, I think for sure. It's sort of more about, yes, there's the colonialism for sure aspect. Mm-hmm. And it also feels like a corporate takeover because that's what it rang with for my experiences. But <laughs> um, but I think that it's supposed to be regi- regime change. Um, and that's why it's so similar to, to things going on with our politics, our, our global politics, where uh, rumors don't have to be true. It's the fallout that matters more than the truth. What's that great line that Jack has at the end when he looks up at a traveler who's grown quite a bit? Stephen Ewan's not a, a little bit of a diminutive man, I think, but uh, he grew quite a bit during this, uh, this episode. Jack's line to him is, uh, eh, maybe it'll be better with you guys running the place. Yeah. Didn't it, sound so sure to me. <laughs> yeah, it feels very Simpson-esque in that, in, in that sense. So, okay, all right, well, in this section, we definitely agree that it's science fiction. We definitely believe that it has some sort of fantastical elements based yeah. on just the, the And I would say almost again, like last week, social science in a lot of yeah, ways. No, as totally. much as anything. Yeah. I agree, I agree. One last question before we move on to the ultimate lesson where we can kind of debate what we really, really, you know, take away from this episode is, is there anything in this episode that really made us sweat that made us kind of nervous or creeped out or definitely for me, there's a scene where Steven Yoon's character creaks his neck mm. when he's in the jail cell where it's like it, you can tell that he's like, it, it was very men in blacky. Yeah. Like the uh, movie. Um, where, put my, my hands. Exactly. That's what it reminded me of. Cause he's like, he's not, he's almost in a skin suit yeah. kind of. God, I wish Edgar from men in black appeared in this episode. <laughs> me um, too. Go for it. Yeah. But he creaks his neck in the jail cell. And I like, when we were watching, I was like, Oh, like it, it's just, it was not well, super, scared them. It scared them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely like a little bit of body horror, especially mm-hmm. when he changes and like his antennas come out and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like nothing really Did frightened that, me or made, gave me the heebie-jeebies. I think the, the, think the things that creep me out, this is very, I mean, if you ever, you guys have seen like a Fargo or yeah. that type of movie yes. where, I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, <laughs> law enforcement's like a two-person job. Um, the, you're in the snow. I mean, even just the opening scene, you see them driving through, you know, the middle of nowhere in the snow. There's the one line like, how did he get in? Uh, oh, maybe he found the keys we lost six months ago in the snow. We figured no one would ever find them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that could be the same for a body. That could be the same for a car wreck. I just, you're just out there and you're so isolated. Again, who's to say what's out there, what exists out there? I think that's something that's creepy to me. Eleanor, did anything uh, creep you up? Just the things that are really just too real, like... Christmas music over the dispatch radio. I mean, that's just hell. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, the egotistical boss. And it took so little time for people to get on board with this fun time, a traveler instead of, uh, you know, being suspicious. Why weren't they suspicious? Yeah. The ease of collapse when it comes to just, uh, you know, the commingling of people Mm -hmm. is always something unnerving to me because, you know, our society is built upon that. You know, like we need people, we need to to have interactions. And it's, it's almost a cliche because it's so true of just how easy it is for us to just fucking hate each other so fast and to fall apart. And you believe the thing that's most entertaining to believe, no matter how yeah. true it is. Even even if you know you should be more skeptical, especially if you're a police officer. Eleanor, it's only a lie if we choose to believe it. And that's just <laughs> one of many lessons that we learned in this episode. But what's the big lesson? And we're going to debate it right now. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill, and suspicion can destroy. Trust no one. <laughs> That's a good one. How about, um, I want to believe? And the truth is out there. Oh, yeah, we got it. All right, let's move there. on to yeah. our next one. Who want? No, I'm just joking. I feel like there's a lot to take away from this episode. I think we already got to a lot of it in uh, on our last section. But Eleanor, you, you lead the way because you, you're really positive about this episode. And I, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I just think it was a nice, appropriate allegory for the way our society is collapsing so easily under the pressures of rumor. Yeah, I guess one of the reasons why I think it's so chaotic is because we need to be in the weeds for most of the episode because that's kind of how you like all the other characters feel as well. I kind of got the same sense that like that Matt had with like the colonialism and this metaphor of, you know, like, you know, where we come from and uh, the the sense of heritage and, and just what does that even really mean in the end of the day when you have so many people that are dictating things um, up above and, and and I kind of like that, but at the same time, I felt that it was it was in tandem to a bunch of other themes, which is kind of what happened with replay, where you have just so many things that are being poured at once. True. I mean, aside from the simple lessons like, again, don't trust someone who breaks into a jail. <laughs> um, never, never live near an Air Force base or a government-run lab, you know, <laughs> besides things like that. If pop it, culture has showed us anything. If anything. Yeah. Hey, I like to stay near Hawkins Laboratory because I get to hang out with yeah. all the uh, Demogorgons. Yeah. But. but you probably don't even know it, and you're already next to one. Or, or oh, on top I, of uh, one. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm next to Wrigley Field. Is, they, is that they, what happened they, earlier? What was on top of us? And, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know what tripped down all over us then. Oh, that if, is true. The water that, that came down like, today is gross, yeah. and it's brown, and it's all murky. Yeah. Oh. Maybe it was tombs. Too, I mean, it could have been tombs. It, I, think, I think Mike's right. I, this is one of those episodes that I think last week they tried to, they kind of knew what they wanted to do. They just didn't have time to do it, and it was really messy and rushed. 
this uh, this week I almost kind of felt like too much was going on. And, you know, when you try to do too many things, sometimes nothing quite gets accomplished the way you want it to. Um, but what would you say is the thing that you would take away from this? The da- I mean, the da- I think Eleanor is right. Like the dangers when what happens when truth breaks down? Yeah. Um, what happens when you don't know what to believe? So much about this episode is who do I believe? Um, and, you know, again, what is really true? What's false? If I want something to, that's what we hear a lot. Like, why do you say he speaks the truth? Because he says what I want to hear. You know, we hear that so many times. Okay, well, let's not get political. Um, I think the, and I think the other thing for me is again, just don't fool me twice, right? This is a community of people that if you ask them, if you ask Jack or Yuka, they will say they were fooled once, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, really a choice they had or not. And now is, if this, you know, there comes a situation where at least at one point Yuka has a chance to perhaps make this, um, if you want to call it a regime change or whatever easier. I mean, so again, it's, and then there's the Jack line at the end. Hey, maybe this is going to work out better with you guys running the place. I mean, I don't think those two, even though Jack gets his pie at the end, I don't think they're in for a better time. Well, here, here and, I, and I think that's the visual metaphor to, to focus on. And that's kind of like the mislead and then maybe the red herring that Glenn Morgan's kind of wiring at the end is that they're all having fun eating pie and there seems to be some jovial element to it but it's ultimately a distraction it's that this place is being going to be overrun and taken over by another entity right and you're kind of just as long as you have your luxuries you're okay and i guess maybe that's kind of what i took from it i just think she is definitely put in a situation where she has to either trust this person that she's known for a really long time her superior mm-hmm. or this man that she just met who you know magically appeared in the jail cell so she's kind of between a rock and a hard place of is he is he telling me the truth or not um and ultimately she decides that he is it takes her a minute to get there um but i definitely i don't know i I think the lesson here is to maybe trust others sometimes, you know, in a situation where you think that you shouldn't, I guess. But like my whole life, I've been taught don't trust strangers. But literally in this scenario, she trusts a stranger. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, that means that the writing was kind of all over the place here. I don't really know what the message was. Maybe trust yourself. Yeah. Or trust yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it ultimately comes down to that final line, and which, to be honest, uh, sorry, Glenn Morgan, but my favorite character of all time, George Costanza, said it to Jerry once, and he said, "Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it." Exactly. And and, and ultimately, it seems as if everyone believes the lie when it mm-hmm. kind of uh, fulfills their own sort of needs. Like when even he tells the lie about Jack having the tools in his yeah. trunk to get everyone mm-hmm. out of the police station, essentially. They all believe it. Yeah. Um, and it's so uh, just even again, the writing, it's uh, the line sounds good, but you're also playing the pronoun game, right? Yeah. It's only a lie if we choose to believe it. Um, is it, could you say, if we only choose to believe it's a lie? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, you're even that's kind of, uh, I mean, I think a couple of us watch this a little differently. And I'm not saying the people who didn't like it versus people who did like it. I think we all watched it differently. I think it's very, very possible to. Um, Maybe because they're trying to do a little bit too much and the it's fall, things are falling through the cracks. But uh, also, I mean, there's, you know, again, there's there's a lot open to interpretation with well, these sorts of I, things. I think a lot of it comes, to, like, ultimately where you stand with this is also where you can answer this question and who won. 
you know, like who wins in this situation? And I think that also, also really tells like what this lesson is. But exactly who wins is that did he win? Did a traveler win by getting them to show him the shed, like his superiors where the shed is? Absolutely. I, that's that's how yeah, I, but to, is, yeah. I mean, he was he working for them? Does, is that what he really wanted? Was he just told by his? I think like if anything, the people in the sky win his yeah. superiors, the next um, the next colonizers. Yeah. But, but you have to believe. I mean, he's again, you know, working for them. So he, he is them. He is yeah. the same race. So you got to believe. I think his. I mean, if I go back to my colonialism take, I got to believe that ultimately, um, you know, at one point in time, you know, uh, Pendleton's. Ancestors who he talks about came in and they tamed. He uses that word to tame, you know, tame the state, right? They won at that point, and now someone else is winning. And again, guess who's losing yet again? And uh, that's that's how I take it. I I think it's you know obviously the the colonizers winning and the subjugated yet again being subjugated. I agree. Yeah, I I think the the others or the aliens, the UFOs, whatever you <laughs> want to call them. They won in this particular episode. <laughs> I still don't know yeah. exactly what their purpose was. Um, if I, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot left open-ended there, which I understand is, is a huge part of the Twilight Zone, where kind of a mm. lot is left to our imaginations. Sure. But I kind of walked away from this episode just going like, well, what was what was really the the, the main point here? Sometimes you, know? you just got to have a slice of pie. Ex- that, that was yeah. a small victory. I, I like that He finally one. got the damn pie. That's a small victory. Oh, that's a victory. Very ephemeral. In my but- opinion, because I'm fucking starving right now. But <laughs> Eleanor, who do you think won? I think the reason it covers so much is because we're looking at societal fractals where the colonialism allegory is the same as the corporate and uh, capitalist allegory. Um, you know, it's all it's all sort of the same idea where a new power comes in, takes over, is in charge for a while and then moves on, you know, or gets crushed by the next thing that comes in. Um, and it is what Jack said reminded me of um, in Catch-22 when the um, the brothel owner says that Italy survives through all these different wars and survives for thousands of years because they just sort of don't really worry about the invading force. They just sort of let them do their thing. They mind their own business and then wait for whatever happens next. And that's kind of what, what Jack is doing as a representative of his people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're all the person eating pie because there isn't anything we can do. We are, we're the worker bees. We go about our business and get distracted with whatever we can, which is, you know, the best we can do. There'll always be a seat at the bar to drink on or, mm-hmm. you know, a chance to try to fit in where you don't belong. Oh, Again, totally. you know? Yeah. Hashtag YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> well All said. right. Well, we've, we've talked about what they did. Let's talk a little bit about what we do in a section we call Penny for Your Thoughts. It doesn't matter, Mr. Poole. A man with your ability. Hearing people's thoughts. Strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. Sammy, what would you do in this situation? I like to think I would would do what Yuka did. But because of my inclination to believe the unbelievable, like I've said in previous episodes... Mm Um, I think because I've like been such a fan of science fiction and fantasy and, and horror even for such a long time, it wouldn't take much to convince me 
especially that moment in the party where he starts turning everyone against each other, I yeah. would have been like, okay. I think even just finding him in the jail cell yeah. would have like immediately ticked my, you know, science fiction uh fandom brain <laughs> and be like, okay, he got in here by some otherworldly force. Mm-hmm. It, I'm I'm too inclined to believe the unbelievable. Um, and I think in this episode, it takes her a fair amount of time to get to that point. Yeah. And that's something I didn't really like. Um, but who knows? Not everyone's like me. Um, <laughs> but I definitely would have used his powers for good. I would have been like, what the fuck are you doing here for? You know, what are you <laughs> doing here? And why do you need this? Um, I definitely would have asked more questions than she asked. Uh, but I like to think I would use maybe his powers for good, try to team up with him Hmm. be like, let's work together. Let's do this. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you'd just like be a total traitor to your people. (laughs) Totally. I I, I can't wait for aliens to invade. That means I don't have to worry about like bills and shit. Taxes. Don't tell her where the shit is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'd be the cops working for the Nazis. (laughs) great sorry i'm bringing it back to nazis again you are Um, (laughs) let's take it home sorry yeah um there have been so many times where i've had a boss who was making a terrible decision and i've voiced my opinion and they've ignored it and i've been like all right well go hang yourself then you know so i guess i would do exactly what you could did which is fair I mean, I think I think I would do the same, although I would probably ask Stephen Ewan if he could sign my uh, screener <laughs> copy of Burning and uh, also um, probably run to a comic book shop to get a Glenn figure because he was my favorite character in that series. But, <laughs> Me too. Um, yeah. you know, I'd be a little skeptical at first, but ultimately I'd want that pie. I just really want that pie, and I really want that pie now. But, Matt, what do you think? Well, Yuka's the only one who does absolutely any due diligence, and I would have asked a few more questions. Again, like Eleanor pointed out, where did he get those shoes, Mm -hmm. and do they make them in my size? Mm -hmm. Um, They're like pointed toes. I like them. Yeah, and if he has such big shoes, what else, you know? (laughs) What what else else is this invading? Come and get us. Come take us over. If we can have footwear like that, you know, maybe uh, maybe we're wasting our time (laughs) here with Payless Shoes and Nike. Fuck that. (laughs) But um, that all said, I would do exactly what she did. And then just like Eleanor said, they are the worker. They get called the worker ants, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, you can only do so much. And your bumbling boss, your idiot of a boss, is going to make that decision regardless of what you say. And there's nothing you can do. So, I mean, I'm going to try to do my job, but ultimately I'm going to get screwed. What can I say? To quote The Who, you meet the new boss, and he's the same as the old boss. And uh, to quote yeah. The Who also, uh, I won't get fooled again. Let's each quote The Who. What were you just trying to that say That was like then? a Dr. <laughs> Seuss, like, <laughs> Herbert quoted a Who, quoted a Who, Who, Horton Who, Horton Who. It really seems like these aliens can see for miles. Oh my gosh! You know, I, talk I gotta, about my generation. Wow. What if you came in and said his name was Bob O'Reilly? <laughs> God, uh, who's next? Not, neither <laughs> of us, because we all gave our answers, and now it's time to give our overall thoughts. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good. There are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result. Please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Matt, you want to kick this one off? Yeah, I can kick it off. Um, we've, we've said it. I think um, it tries to do a lot. I respect that it does. It's ambitious. 
I think the storytelling breaks down at the end. I don't think they quite know how to handle these episodes when it gets down to the end. It's been two weeks in a row now where I was on board and excited and then I was let down. So that, I hope that's not a theme that continues. If I have to give it the mark out of a couple of doors, I would say I probably... I probably have to go two and a half doors. An episode like this makes me appreciate how tight and how well done something like The Comedian and A Nightmare Over 30,000 you know, 30, Feet Up or whatever the title was. I didn't know that at the time. You know, I said, there's room for improvement, but uh, I really, really admire those episodes all the more after these last couple. So um, lo- great ambition. Again, I think visually it's absolutely stunning. Like I love the transition of how they use lights, I loved, you know, being out in the winter. I love so many things about this visually, but the storytelling, it's just two weeks in a row where I think it's just, it's broken apart at the end. I agree. I completely agree, Matt. (laughs) It fizzles out in the last 15 minutes and that's where they struggle is to wrap things up in that short amount of time. And I think it's maybe because they're taking too much time trying to get there and not enough time with the resolution. I had a problem, obviously, like I said before, with her acting. I I didn't believe Yuka really throughout it. I thought she was kind of drab and monotone and just not at all interesting. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that I didn't think the character wasn't interesting. I just think that the actress's delivery wasn't. I think that, again, it was visually stunning. I thought the directing was great. The director did an amazing job. I'm sad to say that Glenn Morgan didn't live up to my expectations. When I saw his name pop up on the screen, I got super excited just because he did write some of my favorite X-Files episodes. And it was a bit of a letdown. I just... I'm hoping that we go bigger next episode. I, I Like you said, too, it definitely makes me appreciate the comedian um, and Nightmare at 30,000 Feet because these last two have just really let me down. I'm going two doors as well uh, just because I think they really tried to do way too much in an hour span. Uh, I'm going to go with three. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I actually, just talking about this a little bit more, I've, I've appreciated kind of what we'd, like Glenn Morgan's trying to do because I really like this as a parable for colonialism. I think there's something really strong about that sentiment. And I think that, you know, that goes back to some of the older episodes of the Twilight Zone. And, and it's just such a an old school theme that, opens the door, uh, no pun intended, for a, a bunch of other themes to be discussed. And I, I do admit that the weakest part of this is Marika Silla. I think that her her acting just really kind of stunts this a little bit. But Stephen Ewan is so charismatic. Even just the little things that he adds to this, and he just does this smile that's just so His smirks fun. were some of my favorite and, in the episode. And I love sure. that. And I and I love I love when Greg Kinnear plays a piece of shit, too. And aesthetically, it's also just really gorgeous. I think Anna Lily Amipour did just like a, a phenomenal job with this episode. And I really actually like a lot of the musical cues in this too. So I think it's a fucking mess, but I also think it's an interesting mess in hindsight. So I I am going to go with three, but Eleanor will take us home again. (laughs) I'm going to go with three Manzarek's and half a Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. I almost Kriegered out there. (laughs) I did feel a little bad for not uh, representing. I liked a lot of things about this episode. I did think, um, you know, I got the same issues with the acting, but also I think that all of the characters were kind of melodramatic and it sort of just gave it more of a cartoony feel like a classic Twilight Zone episode. So I didn't really mind it so much. I I thought the the little Glenn Smirks, <laughs> that's not his name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be. Yeah, you know, we're all thinking it. Um, I thought those were... Um, we're silly, but you know, I enjoyed it, but I, I thought it was just as silly as 
Greg Kinnear's just evilness. Yeah. And Yuka's sort of low grade, meh, not really acting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, credit to the director, but also isn't isn't it her job to pull out the best performance? And I don't yeah. I feel like a few more takes we would have gotten there. But I, I wasn't agree. there. I don't know. But I thought it was fine. I I think um, it was pretty to watch. It was everything I look for in a Twilight Zone episode. It uh, made me think about stuff and was kind of open-ended. And I like that. One of the things this episode really opened my mind to is the fact that this really is becoming a newer Twilight Zone. You know, when you look back at some of the older episodes, they do stick to like one theme for the most part. Or they, maybe one theme speaks, um, you know, platitudes and, and, and whatnot. But with, with these past two episodes, it seems as if they're trying to go for more nuanced discussions. Because, I mean, you get so much longer than just a 22, 25 minute episode. You're getting these like 45 minute, 50 minute long parables. So sure. it would make sense to wire it with a bunch of different things. I do hope, though, in that respect, that there is a little, you know, things a little more cohesive. There's a little more, you know, tightness. This I'm still waiting for. And the comedian's the closest thing that comes to this. I agree. For something that's really going to fucking knock me back in terms of being like, man, that was tight. That was in and out. Boom. There you go. Mm-hmm. And so far, based on where we are at in this revival, I'm still very intrigued. I'm not disappointed. And, and I still think this is a step or two above what we saw in the, the odds version. I still think this is pretty much on par or above what we saw in the 80s version. I think this is actually stronger. And again, it goes back to Peel. And I'm going to sound like a fucking broken record by the end of the season of um, the 50 mentioned but there is an authority at hand and by the time he does come in and even in this episode when he's talking about how like myth and mistruth is you know there's no difference it hits in a way that kind of ties things together you know kind of like a present like the one he's holding ah, like um, a little bow yeah but i, I so i kind of like where that we're at eleanor when you came into this series you were a little more skeptical than than either of us. I think like I was really gung ho and salivating, but I feel like you were definitely the more critical. Where do you stand now? I think it is appealing. Uh, appealing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done that one before. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> repetition. It's hilarious. He's talked about how he was able to approach Twilight Zone because he recognized that it's humorous, that um, that it's always had this comedic element to it that Rod Serling's a jokester and I really appreciate that aspect you know I I like a cheesy joke and my mom always said the more you know the more jokes you get and <laughs> I think that something like this that's so sci-fi based really reinforces that so I'm enjoying the jokes <laughs> yeah and I think it needs to have that sort of variety I will also say that this was one of the episodes that suffered from being too long I, th- I think that this could have easily been um, a really tight 30-minute episode. Or honestly. even 45. It's a full yeah. hour. 45 would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's too long. Yeah. It's very long. And then a lot of it comes down to the fact that uh, Amarpour definitely takes her time in terms of framing a lot of the shots. I mean, even just chasing down Kinnear you didn't really need to go to the bar. Like you no. could have had it something where you, you, you were able to find it. They just hear through the dispatch and she's exactly. like, we couldn't find it. Yeah. And, and everyone is here or whatever. It just... It took too long to get to a spot that didn't really get a full resolution for yeah. me. So I, I would like to see a 22-minute episode in this season sometime, but I don't think mm. we're going to get it. We I, won't. I, feel, I think 45 would have been it. 45 would have been perfect. But I think, like you said, this is a new Twilight Zone for a different era, mm-hmm. and they're covering some issues that 
you know, you they're struggling to cover in an hour's time, mm-hmm. let alone they could in you know, 20 minutes. It's yeah. you know, it's great because like you said, whenever we ask what's your takeaway, and you can every person at the table could definitely have a different takeaway from this. Some of the original Twilight Zones, I don't think you would have that much differentiation mm-hmm. because I mean, again, it had to be simpler due to the constraints. But again, I think um as much as I enjoyed those first two episodes and I was curious where can they take it, uh, they took some big swings and didn't quite connect fully. And I'm just, I, I, I'm waiting to see that, that same sort of, um, episode that can be, that can mean so many different things to so many people that could touch upon so many things. I'm just waiting for the execution where then we all just agree, damn, that was a great hour of television. Yeah. On top of meaning, touching upon so many different important things. I wonder if the first two were so impactful because they weren't political at all. Mm. They, they were about things that every human deals with or, or just humanity at its most basic level. I think there's truth to that because I think that they're certainly more timeless in that respect, especially something like this. If I revisited this episode, say 10 years from now, when we're gone from like the Trump era, I think I'm going to lean hard on the colonialism aspect of it. But a lot of the illusions, like, say, like, the North Koreans, the Russians, like, I, I don't know, maybe we'll actually be... It wouldn't be, in- be as impactful. No. I- and that's what's so great about the original series is that, you know, in 2019, I can watch an episode and relate it to something that's going on right yeah. now. Yeah. And these last two episodes, they yeah. feel very, very of our relevant. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're very relevant. I mean, it's not to say that, you know... Police brutality wasn't relevant 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. No, it definitely was, yeah. It, it was. But now in an era where we have cell phones and recording and video, wait, it's very relevant. And um, we're all in the know about it. Yeah. So the question I, I raised then real quickly, because I think one of the great things about The Twilight Zone was you sometimes had that sense of escapism, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first two episodes, now that I look back, I appreciate what they were. And even though they were stories that, I mean, one thing about this story, for example, today, although I recognize themes, I didn't know where the story was going. Yeah, You know what I mean? It wasn't a story that I'd seen a form of it a million times, or at least it didn't register to me like that. Whereas like the first couple episodes did. So I guess my, my point being though is, and it goes back to that political thing, are we, because these last two episodes, as ambitious as they've been and as important as the topics they've covered, I mean, is it is it killing that escapism a little bit? I wonder. I would like it to be dialed back just a little bit more because I'm a huge fan of you know being a little more vague, yeah. being a little more subtle, or just going into somewhere not recognizing yeah. everything all of a sudden. Yeah, know? I agree. Just take me somewhere else completely. You mm-hmm. know, they'll make the Twilight Zone look very, very much like what some of us deal with every single day. If they could lean more on broader and timeless, while also being smart enough to get those subtle jabs, there's there's definitely a sweet spot you have to hit for the Twilight. Yeah. Zone. Perfectly, and I, and I think that the first two episodes really get at that, and these these last two just fumble in that respect. They definitely come up and save themselves. I, I don't think any of these four episodes have had a shitty kicker. I think all of them have been pretty strong. I think I think to your point, Sammy, um, th- if you watch these ten years from now, they'll be more exciting because you'll be going, oh my god, the same thing is happening now, which is the interesting experience that I keep having when I watch old Twilight Zone episodes. It's annoying because history keeps repeating itself, but because the characters are different, because I am escaping from what's going on now, but it's still relevant to me, it's it's fascinating. And you're right, Mike, that it's difficult to use this as escapism because it is so blatantly, hey, this is what's going on right now. Did you notice? And it's hard, but I think that it will be interesting 10 years from now. (laughs) But that's that's short and peel making it, right? 
And that's and we knew he was probably gonna he wasn't gonna do Twilight Zone, maybe in some of the ways we'd seen it before. He was going to do something that registered with what was going on today. That's how he treats art. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's very much of the time. So I do think it will be interesting at the end of the season because we went in with certain, you know, preconceptions. I do think, and we've, we're kind of shifting around as we see what this actually is, this project. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see, like we say, what do we take away from each episode? I think at the end of the season, what do we actually take away from this whole experience? And it might be very, very different than what we thought we would or what we thought we might going in. Well, we're going to see where it takes us next week when we meet the Wunderkind, the Wonderkind, which may or may not be Academy Award nominee Jacob Tremblay and also future Cowboy Bebop star John Cho. He's uh, he's in this episode as well. (laughs) I'm excited for this episode and I hope you're excited, too. And, you know, just please leave us a message on on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you want to go. To get your podcast, Spotify, give us a star rating. We want it. We want to hear from you. And message us on all our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, and I, that's where we stop there. And you can search <laughs> us for on the fifth dimension. And uh, give us a chatter sometime. And, you know, Sammy posts some amazing memes, stuff to get you by mm, until thanks. you wait to the next episode of The Twilight Zone. So until then, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.